Bitcoin is now up 100% on the year, making it the best performing asset on the planet. But is that true? No, because GBTC is up actually twice that much, up over 200% this year because of the price action of Bitcoin and the closing of the discount. But either way, as stocks seem to waver here, as the economy starts to uh, wobble, Bitcoin still performing as an uncorrelated asset and booming to the upside. I guess what everyone now wants to know is, will it shoot higher? Of course, I've got Dan from Chart Guys at the end. We're going to look at the charts and discuss that. But I've also got one of my favorite guests, Joshua Frank from The Tie, always here with the data and the hot takes. And he just sent me a thread that absolutely exploded my very small lizard brain, claiming that there is evidence that Mark David Lamb, the co-founder of CoinFlex, alongside Zusu, Suzu, Zusu, Suzu Studio, and Kyle Davies of 3AC were using CoinFlex creditor money as a personal piggy bank when they started OpenX. Wow, we're going to dig into that right now and everything else. This is going to be epic. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel, hit that like button. It's one of those days where we make a plan and we've got a title and there's a thumbnail and it's got faces on it. And then something happens that nobody's talking about yet. I was lucky enough to have Josh, who always uh, gets me the hottest new uh, information on the streets in real time, hits and I don't even have time to process it. So we just do it in real time, right? So I'm just going to go ahead and bring Josh on right now. We're going to talk about this. Josh, here's the thread that you sent me. I'm just going to read the first part. We've uncovered evidence to show how CoinFlex.com founder Mark David Lamb with Zusu and Kyle Davies of 3AC use creditor assets as their own, as their personal piggy bank. We owe it to the industry to take out the trash. <laughs> Fight starts today. Here's the full story. Now, to be clear... Mark used to be CoinFlex. So I don't even know who's technically tweeting from the CoinFlex account right now. This isn't actually coin this is a this is not CoinFlex account. This is an account that was created either today or yesterday or something like oh, that. Oh god. Okay yeah. guys, we're going to go out and say this is speculation <laughs> and we're going to dig into what we know. Okay, yes, go ahead. Yeah, I mean I, I think I think this is all speculation obviously. There are there are definitely I mean there are emails here with that are time stamped. There are uh, there are bills with people's name on it. You know, it is it is a small account, but I will note that it's being the the it's it's only followed by a few people, and those are large CT accounts. So I have a feeling that somebody knows something if this is true. Um, but basically, saying that you know, CoinFlex uh, lost 160 million dollars of customer deposits uh, primarily because Roger Ver didn't pay back a loan that he owed to CoinFlex. And I don't like know 70 million or 40 million of it. I don't want to quote the number wrong. Something like that was a single loan just to him. And the, that buried the entire exchange. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was over a hundred just to him, but maybe, maybe it was by the end. Yeah. You're, you're right. Either way, it was um, a huge, uh, basically unsecured loan to one guy who Ooh. just decided, yeah, I'm not gonna pay back. And by the way, no one has given him shit about that. I mean, that's kind of fallen off the face. <laughs> uh, I mean, what's a hundred million dollars lost in crypto, right? I mean, when we're, no, talking, we're talking, we're talking, you know, billion. happened while we were talking already. Yeah, exactly. Ahead. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, apparently, uh, you know, they, they proposed a restructuring proposal of CoinFlex. 
which was going to give basically the creditors, uh, you know, some board seats on the exchange, ownership of the exchange. Uh, that got like 98% approval among creditors. I think it passed in uh, in Seychelles. Um, and then apparently, uh, somehow, Mark, who is the founder of CoinFlex, according to this thread, this is not according to us, this is according to this thread that's been shared, and you guys can find it. It's at CoinFlex Real. That's where the thread is coming from. You can see it here. Uh, apparently, uh, Mark, you know, basically partnered with Suzu and Kyle on OpenX and basically merged the two companies together without approval from creditors, without approval from the court in Seychelles, and has been using the remaining creditor money to pay for things at OpenX. Uh, there, there's there's pictures there of, of them, them doing a $30,000 uh, photo shoot, $31,500 photo shoot. That's an expensive photo shoot. Dude, but look at this. But, 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 I mean, they look great. They, they do look great. They, they look I, I great. really, I really like the construction in the background. Um, I mean, they, they didn't even use lighting. I'm just being honest. This is literally a picture from an Android. <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's, uh, yeah, like this is crazy. This is, this is crazy. So this is, this is an email thread where it says here, check this out. Uh, I, I, if you, you can share your screen too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then yeah, we can yeah, add so, this a little easier. Hi, whatever and whatever. This is from Mark. Sue, Kyle, and Leslie and I have received some fines, each for two hundred thousand uh, AED. I don't, I don't. Is that Dubai's currency? Yeah, or that, that's a uh, yeah United Arab Emirates currency. Yeah. Yep. Uh, can we please expense these and have them paid to us in USDT? You can use the address below for Leslie and my reimbursement. I will then settle. Leslie's his wife, by the way. For anyone who's wondering, Leslie is Mark's wife, who's also uh, yeah. in charge. Yeah. I mean, this is this is pretty damning. I mean, this is not even that old. This is from June nineteenth. I mean, either that or somebody has spent a lot of time faking all of this. But yes, and the claim here then is that so VARA was the regulator in Dubai, I believe. I can't remember if it's Singapore or Dubai, so I don't want to get it wrong. But seemingly Dubai, if this is here, uh, yeah, Dubai, and they went on sort of a wild fining spree and making all these accusations. This is the regulator against these guys. And they're paying the fines with CoinFlex creditor money. I mean, that that that's that's what this is. And we know that Sue actually got picked up in Singapore. Who's currently, I don't know if he's currently sitting in jail or got out on bail, but had like a couple months sentence in jail in in Singapore. So like this is already on the radar of Dubai. But I mean, to to make a, oh, I mean, there's some some just damning stuff here. Look at this one. Influences were paid with creditor assets to continue pumping OX. By the way, OX was like flex token you didn't exchange for OX, right? And then the founders took proceeds from the sale of creditor assets to pump up the same tokens that they had just sold OTC. And I told you guys, I was in Dubai in February and Kyle and Sue were like on a roadshow selling OTC flex tokens. Right? And Because I was there with all for the Satoshi Roundtable. It's a bunch of like big you know, big heavy hitters in crypto and everyone was taking their personal meetings. I didn't buy any flex token because fuck those guys. Right. <laughs> even, even if I thought it was going to go up a hundred like X, uh, that's not, I, I just don't roll like that. Right. But th this is insane. This is insane. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I you know, yeah, I, read, just read the thread. I mean, I, I, you know, look, it's coming from an account that was created couple of days ago with a hundred and something followers, but, um, it's pretty damning. And, and look, it's Sue and Kyle. It's not like they're going after, you know, some, somebody who has 
not been proven to be a bad actor in the past. They're going after you know people who covered up their balance sheet and lost billions of dollars of other people's money. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I you know, yeah, it's. Uh, it- I even get a little egg on my face here, apparently, because as you pointed out, there's a tweet here in my defense. I don't feel like I had anything to do with this, but this is an audio uh, recording, which I'll just let you guys look at the blips instead of playing it because it hurts my heart. But this was on a July 3rd Twitter spaces, also known as Crypto Town Hall, which is the Twitter spaces that I host alongside Mario and Ran, where we had Kyle on there to discuss all of this. Apparently, I was on that show, too. I (laughs) think you were there with me. I'm yeah, on and, it as well. Honestly, though, this is just where he stated Kyle openly that CoinFlex had now become OpenX, right? And everyone at CoinFlex is like, how do Kyle and Sue Zoo now own all the creditor assets as two-thirds partners in a new exchange where everything was uh was was sent over? This is just crazy, man. It, it, but it, it is it, like it, I think you made the best point. It's the most crypto thing ever. Yeah, I mean, look, I wouldn't be surprised if this was the case. I mean, you know, um, you know, you let a fraud continue to abuse and steal people's money and take advantage of people and they'll do it, right? So um, the other thing, you know, in this thread, in May, 2023, 0x, the governance token for OpenX was deployed. This was in fact, just flex bridge on a one to 100 basis. <laughs> they just, they, they've now converted the token like multiple times. Yeah, it's great. It's great. All, all, all your uh, funds are belong to us, right? All your base are belong to us. To use an old video gaming meme, uh, we're going to dig into this more. I guess nobody should be surprised. But the, the interesting thing is, you know, you, you said when you let it guys who were gratuitous frauds in the past give them a window, they open the window, start a new business, which by the way has failed. But the thing is that until this point, everyone had assumed fraud in the past, but there'd never been. Proof. Like Kyle's whole argument when he was sitting with everyone in Dubai was, there's no suits against me, man. Like he's like, there's no fraud accusations. We blew up. We were a shitty hedge fund. We exploded. Sorry. Like we never, we were only facing institutions, which we all know, like if you're a voyager. But you would think, you would think if they got away with it, which they did, or they at least have so far, obviously they, you know, I think, was it Sue who went to jail for a couple of months or? Was to I think he's cur- currently in jail for a couple of months. I just don't know if he's still there or not. I don't want to misquote it, but it was within a couple uh months, you know, ago that he was right. Going so you think, you know, but he went to jail for apparently uh running away from, I think, or, or from the, the bankruptcy. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was not answering any of the questions. And, and Kyle still has an open case then in Singapore. So if Kyle lands in Singapore, he's going to go to jail. But the implication there was they went to jail literally so that they could just put Suzu in a chair and get him to answer their questions. Yeah, I mean, look, and so it, they would be complete idiots if this is true. Um, but you know, but I don't know if this is more damning for them or Mark because it's Mark who's the one that's using creditor assets from Open from from uh, from CoinFlex, not them. Um, I mean, you know, Mark seems to be the one making the decisions here. At least the emails, are, you know, they're they're they while they while they allude to Sue and Kyle, they are Mark making those decisions. If you if you read them. Yeah, and uh, since I guess we're going full YOLO on this stream uh, and just changing it up, let's talk about Hamas. <laughs> but but not the political side of Hamas. The article from the Wall Street Journal that said that Hamas had received, what was the number, $82 million of terror financing via crypto. This was an article everybody knows that Elizabeth Warren and others have jumped all over. 105 senators and congressmen wrote a note 
to national security and the White House, et cetera, because of this report from the Wall Street Journal saying we need to immediately stop the terrorist funding of terrorists doing terrorism uh, by these crypto people doing crypto shit that want to fund terrorists because all crypto people are terrorists. It didn't say that, but that was sort of the implication. And this was from data coming from Elliptic. And everyone pushed back. Chainalysis, to, for the quick broad strokes, Chainalysis dug in. We're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're basically using every transaction by like this exchange to count it I mean, as the volume. The it's the equivalent of, it's the equivalent of, you know, I, I don't know, Hezbollah having an account with JP Morgan with $500 in it and then saying every single transaction that JP Morgan did is fraudulent. I mean, that's the, that's the equivalent. That's the equivalent. It, Basically, it, they're, they're counting it, all the transactions for a particular exchange. And the crazy, I mean, the crazy thing is, so yes, yeah, so this comes out. Wall Street Journal publishes this bullshit story citing elliptic. And look, you know, maybe they thought they were citing elliptic correctly. Um, but then oh, I think this is more likely not like some like paid conspiracy. I think it's an idiot who didn't understand. No, chain. no. <laughs> but then elliptic came out with a blog post yesterday setting the record straight. And the reporter at the Wall Street Journal refuses to correct it. Um and he is getting absolutely destroyed on Twitter right now. It's fun to uh, watch. The, Nick Carter had some tweet yesterday that I didn't even know the context. And he was like showing the guy uh, sending like inspirational quotes. And he was like, this guy has devolved into, I'm going to turn my Twitter account into other people's inspirational quotes since I won't respond to any of the stuff. But yeah, the Wall Street Journal has not retracted this. Elliptic said it's completely fake. And if you dig into it, it was $450,000 not 82 million, which at one point they said was 93 million. Yeah, I mean, and, and uh, what Elliptic has said is that since the war broke out on October 7th, Gaza has only received $21,000, or, or, or Hamas rather, has only received $21,000 in donations to their address. And in, I believe it was April or March or something of this year, they came out and said, stop sending us crypto. One, it's traceable. And two, you're going to get caught if you're sending us crypto and you're going to get, you know, you're going to get in trouble with your regulator or, you know, sent to jail. Um, I mean, 21 grand is like a, a really good, like bar mitzvah cleanup for a kid at this point. And you know, who's 13. I, I, I think it was a good bar mitzvah cleanup. I don't know with inflation, maybe not anymore, <laughs> but I mean, $21,000 don't send us this money. You're going to get us in trouble. You're going to get yourself in trouble. But now we have senators and Congress people writing letters to, so, I mean, I wonder if Elizabeth Warren will uh, retract. Probably uh, not. Know, we all know Elizabeth Warren isn't retracting. I know. I know. Um, she's it, she's looking for she 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 is the one that, from everything I hear. She is the one behind the scenes pulling the strings with with the Biden administration and Gensler on crypto, or is a huge part of it, or is working alongside yeah. Gensler. So yeah, the claim is that it, it was actually her mandate for allowing Gensler to be appointed the uh, chair of the SEC. Was that effectively he would do as she said, and that that was her deal with the White House was that she got to control sort of the SEC, but also crypto policy. And then her new, like the new, one of the new chiefs of staff is from her, uh, like her, like, you know, inner circle now being replaced. So it's probably just going to get worse there unless uh, this administration obviously is voted out. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. But, okay, do you have any more, th any more on terrorism, Hamas, Bar for presence and fake news uh, about no, Hamas? No, no. I, well, there's always it's crypto, so we only have fake news. Uh, you know, no no one's tweeting, uh, no tweets this week about uh, the ETF getting approved, though, from an intern. But you heard it here first, guys. Seventeen ETFs were just approved 
um, tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, yeah. So let's let's move on to uh, Bitcoin's recent outperformance fueled by institutional demand. JP Morgan says now there's been a lot of sort of uh, back and forth as to where this buying came from uh, and why we've shot so quickly up to the thirty five thousand area. I do think when you look and this is what they're looking at, and I did a show on it yesterday. When you look at the CME. 100,000 Bitcoin open interest. It's the highest that it's ever been. So there clearly is some sort of institutional demand for this, although those are futures contracts. But you actually sent me, once again, a great thread not long ago that that showed that a lot of this was in Asia. And it was a gamma squeeze, a short squeeze, uh, effectively, right? That people were covering shorts or having to buy the underlying, and that's what sort of drove price up. Yeah, I mean, they, they, I don't want to take, uh, I'll take credit for sending you the thread. Yeah, but I'll, Alex, Alex Thorne, right? Yeah. Alex Thorne, who's the head of research at Galaxy, was the one who wrote it before the move, basically saying that market ma- makers in Asia, in order to, to make sure that they were market neutral, um, would have to basically go long spot Bitcoin. Um, because of a gamma squeeze. So he he wrote the thread. I mean, you can pull it up if you want, or you can just, everyone can just yeah, check it out. His it. name's Alex Thorne. Um, speaking of the fact that, you know, this this was going to happen. Uh, and and from from the conversations that I've had with folks, it was, it, 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 it was well, first of all, 50% of the original buying activity happened. This is before the move happened. Alex tweeted this. So give him credit. This is before the move happened. Um, more than 50% of the buying activity happened on OKX. Um, and, um, you know, from everything I heard, it was it was a bunch of market makers in Asia basically covering. Right. But that still sends us to 35,000. And now we get to ride the narrative. Right. But I, interestingly, you know, I had James Butterfield on yesterday from CoinShares, and he's, you know, a uh, encyclopedia of data on institutional involvement. And he said that there has been an increase but largely, actually, it seems like the big money still on the sidelines, which makes sense because why would you buy any of these institutional products now if you think an ETF is coming? I think that's I think that's partly it. Um, I was speaking to uh, the head of consulting at a big four firm yesterday who does uh, advisory work for clients, uh, including helping corporate treasuries with deciding their strategies. Uh, an example of that, obviously, you know, they don't work with MicroStrategy, but MicroStrategy is an example, right? They're a, they're a crazy example of somebody who over leverages their corporate treasury to buy Bitcoin. But other other corporate treasuries are looking into Bitcoin. And, you know, what he mentioned was that a lot of them are actually just in a wait and see mode until the ETF gets approved because, you know, they don't want to have to deal with the risks of holding spot crypto. So that's the first time I've heard it from somebody. And, you know, this is a, you know, this is a person in a relatively senior position at a, you know, big four firm. Okay, so we're talking about this increase in institutional ad- adoption of crypto, obviously the Bitcoin spot ETF driving that narrative. Uh, but there's a flip side to this that you've shared with me, and I know we can't get into any specifics, but it seems that there's some, uh, what's the opposite of adoption? Uh, I don't know, uh, retraction? There's some institutional retraction happening yeah, at I mean, the hedge is, fund level. This has been going on for, for a long time, right? You know, post, post FTX collapse, um, you know, institutional sentiment towards crypto has collapsed effectively, um, and and a lot of a lot of the large traditional hedge funds uh, were trading what's called GP or partner capital. In other words, the the folks that run the firm's capital, as opposed to LP capital, which is limited partners or outside capital that they're managing. And the idea was, you know, if you think about a fifty billion dollar hedge fund, right? The way that hedge funds generally work is they take a two and twenty model, two percent management fee, twenty percent performance fee. So on $50 billion, they're making a billion dollars a year just in managing that money, plus 20% of the performance. So if the $50 billion goes to 60, 
they're making another $2 billion on that performance, right? So to $3 billion effectively. And so what they were doing was they were trading that money, the money that they were making, the profit that they had or their personal capital. But their idea was that eventually they would go out and they would raise LP or dedicated capital to crypto. Unfortunately, a lot of the big firms that were trading crypto with the idea that they would start trading outside capital, even shut down internal capital. So, you know, even got concerned about their own money and managing the risk of their own money. The reason they were doing that first is they wanted to just put systems in place. They wanted to get comfortable with crypto from a from like a counterparty risk perspective, who they're doing business with, where they're custing their money, who they're trading with. And, you know, what what we've increasingly seen is a lot of the folks that were trading spot crypto, including some of the people that were most publicly uh, pro crypto in 2020, 2021, uh, you know, hedge fund managers are no longer trading crypto at all. Uh, and what they're doing is they're just trading CME Bitcoin. Um, but with that said, there are a couple of funds that did get to the point that they were trading LP capital. And one of those funds stopped trading last week. I'm sure that news is going to come out at some point. I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to say who that fund is. Uh, and the reason Name names. I, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not naming names. It, it will come out. It will come out. <laughs> no. But the reason that they stopped, you know, if you think about it, let's just say a fund, for example, is $20 billion as an example, right? And their crypto strategy is $50 million. The opportunity cost of not having that same team focus on their other strategies is humongous. There's reputational risk associated with trading crypto. And let's say you turned $50 million into $100 million, like... You're earning 20% on that. What are you going to make? 10 million bucks? Like that's less than, that's like, it's a fraction of the management fees that these firms are earning. And the reason that they can't grow those strategies bigger is because of the lack of liquidity in this market. You know, because, you know, post FTX collapse, we've seen it. I mean, go look at volumes. Volumes have dried up in the space. And so, you know, for an institution, it's, it's, if you're managing $50 billion, it's not worth it unless you can put 500 million, a billion dollars to work, which is, by the way, a billion dollars is 2% of your assets, right? If you can't even put 2% of your assets to work, what's the point? And so, you know, uh, unfortunately, from, from the hedge fund world, um, among large traditional hedge funds, you know, things are really starting to dry up. And that doesn't mean that they're not interested in crypto. It doesn't mean that they don't like crypto. It just means that there's, you know, there's no there's, liquidity. There's no liquidity, value. And it's also a counterparty risk problem. They're like, who do I want to do business with? Who do I feel comfortable you know, think about it, right? If you're if you're managing a sovereign wealth fund or a pensions assets, right? And then you put those assets on an exchange and that exchange gets hacked, right? And let's say you even lose 1% of their assets, they're going to reevaluate the other 99% of the money that they have in your fund to trade fixed income or equities or credit or anything else that's not related. And so it's uh, not great. It's not great. Yeah, but one final story about institutions. And this one really actually was a wow factor to me. JP Morgan says JPM coin now handles $1 billion in transactions daily. JPM coin allows blockchain based payments by wholesale clients. Token is a rare instance of live blockchain use by a big bank. To be clear, guys, this is not like on Ethereum or Solana. This isn't uh, built on near, right? This is a private blockchain built by JP Morgan, but this is massive adoption of the actual technology. This was a number I did not expect at all. A, a day, a billion in transactions. What do you make of this? They're not lying. It was JP Morgan. Well, they no, I mean, look, there's, there's a, is, is JP Morgan's, it's, is it, it's, is, is it a uh, fork? Is it like their own private instance of Ethereum? I forgot what it actually runs I, on. I, well, the first, I know that the original uh, iteration of JP Morgan coin 
Yeah, it's a fork. They left fork and became version. Cadena. I don't know if you remember that, but like Stuart Popejoy, whatever his name is, he left JP Morgan, took the basically the original JP Morgan coin and formed Cadena. Yeah, it, it's a, so it's, it's an enterprise focused version of Ethereum. So it is a fork of Ethereum, but that doesn't mean that any value is going to accrue Ethereum. Look, I think, you know, we're at the point in the market that really, it, I really feel like this is 2019 all over again, 2018, 2019 all over again, where back then it was security tokens, not crypto or blockchain, not crypto. And now we're saying tokenization, not crypto, which is the same thing with a different word. Um, and so, look, it's not just JP Morgan. Um, I, I'm, I, I spoke to one of the five largest asset managers a couple of weeks ago. They are also running their own private version of Ethereum, and they're running a Polygon Supernet and Testnet. Um, I've talked to other large uh, asset managers that are running Avalanche subnets. Some of these things have been announced, but that doesn't necessarily mean any value is going to accrue to the tokens. Well, the reason that they like blockchain is because they think it's going to help them save time with settlement and save money, right? And I think at the end of the day, a lot of the users of these applications don't even know that they're, they've you know, abstracted it away where they don't even know they're using blockchain. I think the question becomes, does some of this happen on pro on public networks? Uh, does that use block space and make price you know price go up? Or does it you know increase demand for coins? For example, to run an Avalanche supernet, you need to stake a certain number of Avox tokens. Um, and so, you know, it's not a huge number, but if there are thousands of these supernets, that becomes interesting. Or do you have an instance in which these, these different networks that are all separate need to communicate with one another uh, and you have bridging protocols or, or, or other, you know, layer ones in the middle that are actually facilitating the transactions that are occurring across these, these various blockchains. Like I know, for example, a digital asset, um, they, they, they're a company that has a programming language called DAML. Uh, it's it's very public, but Goldman is building on them. Broadridge is building on them, and a bunch of others are building on them. Uh, they've spoken about uh, launching a public network, which is going to enable communication across the various private blockchains that are operating. And that's a public network that presumably could or, or would have a token. So uh, it, it is it is um, you know, but but as of now, I don't I don't I don't I don't believe this accrues value to crypto, other than. It's getting people talking about crypto. It's getting these tokens in front of them and it's starting conversations. And if the regulatory environment changes, if liquidity changes, right, potentially that's going to drive demand. I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing. I just don't think no, it's, it's a proof of concept. I mean, it's proof of concept for the technology. It's all, these are all proof of, they're all tech. Right. I mean, a, it works and it's, and for JP Morgan, clearly it's cheaper and faster, which is the promise of crypto in the first place, whether it's accruing or not. Uh, so I, 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 as you said, I, I don't see it as a positive as a possible negative. I mean, once people see that it works, they're going to, I think, find a way, but yeah, it's just fun. It's funny in context of, uh, you know, JP Morgan and Jamie Dimon's comments about the space <laughs> in general, and you're seeing them actually utilize this and this much adoption of it on their end. And the bigger point there is the one that you made, which is that nobody knows that it's blockchain when they're doing it. Nobody's calling JP Morgan and being like, how did we settle this, right? <laughs> well, what technology did you use? But yeah, that, they're just happy that the settlement is faster and cheaper. That's, that's what we need for any meaningful mainstream adoption anywhere in crypto. Yes. Like uh, if we're still talking about whether it was settled on Solana and Ethereum and stuff, then we're still just talking to crypto nerds in the echo chamber and we're not talking to your average person who would never ask that question. Correct. Anything less? Uh, anything left? I mean, we talked about uh, Elizabeth Warren, Kyle, Suzu. It's greatest hits. Do we need to like just have a quick mention of uh, 
Doquan, or should we talk I about mean, SBF? Yeah. SBF, he's testifying today, right? Yeah, that's, I was where I was about to go there. SBF is testifying today. So if you're uh, in New York City and you want to go stop stop by the courthouse and uh, uh, you know tell them what you really think, uh, go for it. I want the real alpha then, did, since you get me all the inside information. Did he get his Adderall or not? Uh, I don't know if he got his Adderall. Well, he said he couldn't testify or think or do uh, basically anything functional without uh, that uh, 12 hour release, 30 milligram. Like that's a, a lot of Adderall, guys. You need to get a psychiatrist on here to refute that that's even like a thing. That doesn't even make any sense. Dude, imagine sitting there and being like, you know, I could fight for my life, but also not without my pills. Yeah, I need, I need, please drug me first. Yeah. yeah I mean, Adderall's cool and all, but, uh, you know, you think you could get your shit together to maybe uh, keep yourself out of jail for the rest of your life, which is where he's going, by the way. Josh, man, thank you, guys. Obviously, check out the tie. Check out Josh's uh, link down in, in Twitter. Um, once upon a time, a few years ago, Josh and I both had Cointelegraph create uh, really cool busts of us because we were in the top 100 most influential or something people in crypto. Haven't seen myself on that list. I haven't seen myself on that list anymore. It's weird. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm one of the top 100 least influential people at this point. <laughs> well, at least uh, we thanks can. Thanks for having uh, me on, Scott. Yeah, Always so a pleasure. Thanks, man. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Man, that was a, uh, you know, you make a plan and then all of a sudden it's Kyle Davies is apparently a member of Hamas or something. That, that People are going to cut together and be like, oh, I was watching a live stream. And they told me that Kyle Davies and Suzu are funding terrorists with OpenX funds and partnership with Elizabeth Warren. Right. Yeah. We, we know how that goes. But now we do have this title. Bitcoin's up 100% this year. We talked about that. I told you that GPTC is up twice as much. But what uh, is on everyone's minds, obviously, is what are the charts telling us as to where it's likely to head next? This is a pretty big move. I've got everyone's favorite. Dan from the chart guys here to discuss. You surprised that Bitcoin's hanging out here around 34,000 today? I was surprised at the follow through over 31.8. Everybody knows 31.8 is the top, the key level. And we were already fairly extended on some of the shorter term or midterm RSI levels and, you know, a bit overheated. I would have anticipated, you know, you break it, you spike over 32, and then you kind of chill out a little bit. But to go 10% over, uh, that was surprising in terms of the amount to follow through. And it certainly surprised the bears and it surprised the bulls with cash on the sidelines. And uh, to be hanging out near the range high is a good thing. Sideways consolidation, establishing new support levels and, you know, new price acceptance is always a good thing if you're a bull. Yeah, I mean, gun to my head, I would have thought that 31.8 was going to be the high for the year. Why? Well, I, I wouldn't. Have, well, I guess there's only two months left. Um, well, just if I was sitting here in October and we were at like 28, you know, true, I said, yeah. hey, it would be pretty awesome if we went up 10% more this year. Right. And we're testing those highs and there we go. Yeah. Yeah. And then a lot of people, you know, took some profit right at, at that resistance level. And now we're like, well, wait a second. I've, I want that Bitcoin back. Yeah, exactly. And we've seen a real struggle actually at 35. Obviously, we tested it sort of that first time. Uh, you know, we tested that sort of first time and made a potential, I'll call it, you never called a double top, but this is just on a four hour chart. But, you know, the first initial push. Pushed exactly up to 35,157. And then yesterday we saw sort of this battle there again at that area and it topped exactly there. By the way, for anyone listening, this would not be a double top unless it breaks below 33, because to me, that's the swing low between the two highs. So when people start calling things double tops and not saying potential double top, they're technically uh, wrong there. So I just like to point that out. But now you can see that very, you have pretty 
I think clearly defined levels right now. Actually, if you're short-term trading it, I would say you either want to buy here or above here, right? You know, like we get above it and and, and do it there. I don't know if that aligns with what you're thinking. Maybe you could pull up your screen. Um, yeah, and and as you mentioned, you know, I was using that level yesterday uh, when we were getting to thirty-five thousand. I was shorting MARA, the crypto stock, just in terms of you know expecting we wouldn't see a whole lot of follow-through. But uh, as you mentioned, you know, if we break above it. Just got to be short term. We're not looking for any swing trade entries up over thirty five thousand. In my opinion, Same. need to yeah. see you know a clear pullback. We've gone up, you know, almost I guess more than twenty percent without daily consolidation. So uh, in terms of risk reward of swing entries, there's a lot of there's a lot of cash on the sidelines right now, patiently waiting for that daily consolidation. And you know, one of the big clues for us that things were shifting. And last weekend, I was able to say, you know, keep it, the the crypto market right now over the past week is different than it's been in the past three months because we were seeing these characteristics of a bull market. And one of them is when Bitcoin trades sideways, which it did last weekend, uh, altcoins get their turn. And so Bitcoin was sideways on the weekend. The dominance chart saw daily consolidation and we got Link and Soul making a big move up. And again, that's always a positive for the market when you're seeing those profits rotate around and you're seeing traders and you know we're going to this coin and focusing on this one and then take some profit and we're going to this one that hasn't run yet and you get that kind of musical chairs action and so we're watching for the same thing you know right now bitcoin is sideways right around 35,000 and we can see that there's some altcoins making some moves today and again that's always a good sign if bitcoin is sideways dominance dropping and altcoins playing some catch up is a, a beneficial sign. And from here, the next clue for me will be the response to hourly oversold conditions because you know we're seeing first 15 minute oversold conditions lead to a bounce and then first 30 minutes lead to a bounce. And that's just showing me number one, you know, bears aren't getting a lot of follow through. And number two, cash on the sideline is still buying those dips. So the next time frame is first hourly oversold conditions. When we see that, if that marks a daily higher low, uh, that will show that we are still very strong at this point. Yeah, that's great, Alpha. And you can see there, even just on the volume, that uh, you know it was increased all the way up on buying. And then if you go to lower timeframes, the volume has now decreased on sort of this selling. So it does look more like consolidation than any sort of defined downtrend where you would see increased volume on any level of selling. And I love your point about RSI. I, I was sort of talking about it on higher timeframes yesterday. Obviously, the daily here topped about 87. I mean, we go higher than that in the peak, peak, peak of some of these bull runs, but we don't get higher than that very often, right? That's maybe less than 10 times since 2017. And those are at the peak, peak, peaks, right? And so I'm not saying that that's necessarily problematic. I just think exactly what you do, which is that we need daily consolidation. And another push higher is going to give you a bear div probably all the way up here and overbought. So you'll get a, a higher price, but then you'll get kind of a lower high probably on RSI. And that might be the signal that we're getting it. But I do still love that weekly RSI is just, just touching overbought here. And that's what happened at 12,000 before going up to 65. So in my opinion, on these higher timeframes, overbought is actually the power zone. This is when the yeah. party's actually starting, right? And so, but on lower timeframes, not the case at all. Yeah, a lot of people misuse RSI. And it's the kind of thing where, you know, I can use RSI right now on the daily timeframe and say, you know, I'm not comfortable making a swing entry long. But I, I'm not saying I'm shorting, you know, and, yeah. and we have a clear 35,000 level. Some aggressive bears could try and, you know, top fish that level and have low risk. That's fine. But I don't look at the RSI and say, well, you know, I need to start aggressively shorting because, again, 
we can look at, I always talk about the character of the chart. And, you know, when something's in a clear downtrend and rejecting from this EMA for three months, and then it finally gets over, we say the character of the chart is changing. And again, last weekend, we said we could say the character of the crypto space is changing this past week from what it's been the last three months. And so that means we have to adjust with it. Because again, if we do the same thing that we've been doing over the last three months, when the character of the, the chart changes, it's going to lead to losses. Yeah, I agree. And I, I tweeted something to that effect. Like there's these moments when it's a true shift in the market. And you really, in my opinion, you could be wrong, but you get really a rotation of how everything should be viewed. Breaking above that 31.8 to me said, it's time to buy dips, not try to short, and that most people are going to have bear market PTSD and they're going to sell too early. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but to me, that was the same. And I was saying it, and listen, that was, it was way down, but I think it was when we lost 50 and then 42, certainly on the way down, but it was around 50. I said, listen, I wasn't early on calling this a bear market. I missed 69 to 50, but when we broke whatever that level was, it was a 52 or 50. I said, it's a bear market. We made a lower low. It's not time to look for, I bought some Bitcoin like investment as I usually do, but it's time now to look for shorts for a very long time until otherwise proven. And now I think it's time to look for longs above that sort of 31.8 level. And I would make the argument that it was time to look for longs once we broke 25 because that made that higher high. Yeah. And I was actually the same back then. You know, whenever I talk to friends or family, I want to be really sure and have really high conviction. And so I wasn't telling them to take profit in the 60s, but same thing as you. Once we got down into the upper 40s and in that range, I was like, now it's time. You know, we're probably topping out here. It's time to take some profit. So again, yeah, on the flip side now, and those same people that I, you know, said that to are now talking about wanting to add more. Uh, and so again, it's just a, a paradigm shift. I want to talk a little bit, you, you know, you mentioned GBTC and how it is doing what it should be doing in terms of, you know, up to 200% on the year. And so I grouped together these, these crypto stocks. I, I look at MARA and Riot, which are on the miner side. They've got their little subsector. We got GBTC. As we know, it's the, the trust. And uh, let's see, Coin. Coin is also in there as well. And so if you look at, you know, where these names are. So in July, Bitcoin's hitting 31.8. We're 10%, we'll just call 10% over that level right now. And you look at names like Coin and MARA, where are they compared to their July high? Coin's down 30 whatever percent. You know, MARA is down 50% from that high. Why is that? Why are they not participating? And the answer is IWM as your gauge. IWM, the Russell 2000 is growth names, low cap stocks. This is where IWM was in July when everything was hunky-dory for crypto and those stocks. And it's been doing nothing but going down for three months since then. And it is dragging these stocks down with it. GBTC only cares about, you know, maybe the Bitcoin. ETF, the yeah. ETF headlines, but Bitcoin's price. But these stocks are factoring in the price of Bitcoin as well as the indices that they're traded on. And there's correlation. You know, there's automated trading systems that if IWM's dropping, they're going to be shorting these names. And we could see that yesterday as there was a lot of relative weakness. And so I just want to you know, tell everybody to be aware, you have to be aware. You can't just make the assumption that Bitcoin's going up. These names are going to go up. And you also got to be aware of dilution. MARA has had dilution come out twice in the last three months. And dilution just means you're increasing your share count. That would be like if you're making Bitcoin out of thin air and selling it into the market. And so that's going to add downward pressure. And it's going to be a lot harder to get back to the levels you came from if the supply of shares is increased. Marathon is using the uh, central bank 
policy. <laughs> Just print more out of thin air. It's fine. And you see exactly what happens. But that's a great, great, great alpha and point. It's hard sometimes to remember that these are stocks. So you have to not only be worried about the correlation of the underlying Bitcoin and the asset, but the correlation to the stock market, which clearly has been struggling here. Right. I mean, I, I want to talk about that a bit. Obviously, uh, you know, QQQ, uh, maybe these things are starting to bottom. But yesterday, QQQ made a lower low. Uh, of, uh, and we're now way below the 50 MA. It gapped down. So maybe we'll get sort of one of these abandoned baby, like, you know, um, um, morning stars at the bottom. But it doesn't look great to me, man. You know, like a lot of key supports have just been broken on SPY, QQQ, everywhere. The most of them, not QQQ, are below their 200 day. And tech is getting abused. I mean, Google was down 10% yesterday. Yeah, it's it's rotation where you know the Nasdaq names are holding up really well, and now we're going through earnings season, and they're getting chopped down a bit. Meta with a bearish reaction, Google, uh, and so you know it's it's the kind of thing where the statistic we talked about it I think last week was for the Nasdaq. If you look at the October low and the close of the year, we're green. October low to the close of the year, eighty eight percent of the time, the last fifty two years extremely high probability. And so I'm almost wondering, you know, drive it down as much as you can in October and that statistic could still play out. But I'm on the monthly time frame. I know I look at this chart and say, all right, we just went up all summer. I am anticipating a monthly higher low is most likely. So I'm, you know, looking forward and I don't do a whole lot of predicting with my technical analysis, but I'm going to be open to the possibility that, you know, we do get a little bit of a year end rally, but the question will be, is that enough you know, does that just form a lower high? And then we confirm a, a downtrend. If we look at SPY, there's more space for, you know, maybe we do get a little bit of rally into the year, but then that might just confirm a monthly downtrend. And again, the long-term, three-month, I mean, it's shaping up a long-term tightening range, all-time high, 2022 low. And now, you know, we just might do this all 2024. And I'm absolutely open to that possibility. Yeah, I mean, if you look at SPY, this is the daily, right? I'm just drawing this quickly, but you get the idea that we could, you know, could get some bullish divergence here coming out of that oversold condition. So maybe that is starting to show that we could get, you know, a rally up into here by the end of the year before uh, heading back down, sort of as you said. But I mean, you look at this, it's, you know, high, low, lower, high, lower, low, lower, high, and now lower, low. Yeah, I mean, 200 MA and below. Uh, you know, those sort of early 2023 highs. So it's the kind of thing where, again, I'm, I'm open to a monthly higher low eventually, but I just got to be really skeptical of bulls and just ensure that I don't get this bias. I have to remain, you know, burden on proof for the bulls. Prove it bulls because the bears have the weekly, the daily, the hourly trend in their favor, and they're gaining some confidence over, you know, the last week of trading. So uh, it's, it's, you know, the simple statement for me is we just topped out this little bear flag bounce and, the simple statement is if we're not over that level, the bulls aren't proving anything. And, you know, if I'm a bear, I don't worry about anything if that level is resistant. So uh, it's definitely, you know, a, a bear bear trends right now and open to the possibility that things shift. But I have to see the proof. I have to see bulls impress me. And they obviously haven't been doing that. Does that mean that you're sort of mentally your, your base case now is looking for shorts as opposed to looking for longs? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we knew that last bounce, the weekly lower high was the most likely scenario. And, you know, it, it, it did a nice job forming where if you look on the, the futures chart, uh, we double topped. And so it wasn't, you know, a, a huge surprise to set the weekly lower high at that level where we had the nice bounce. 
bull flag attempt, but we double topped. And as soon as we break that low, that's a big win for the bears. And uh, again, it was, you know, not surprising because the weekly lower high was always the most likely result of that bounce. And it was just, you know, do we form it that week or is it one more week? But the bears, again, they just convincingly uh, knocked the price down. The next one for me is, you know, NVIDIA has got this range here and we know it's been the star of 2023. And uh, if we break this sideways range bear and lose 400 support, that's going to be further weight on the NASDAQ and further of a, a hit to sentiment. And so I'm watching that closely over the next couple of days, because again, we're hovering just over that $400 level. And here we are heading down to test it again right now. Looks like uh, we might be rolling over a little bit. The NASDAQ started a bit strong on the GDP reaction, but giving it back. So again, bears just have confidence. And, and it's the kind of thing where, you know, I'll see a day like yesterday, which was a lot of bear control. And it's just, just completely writing off the bull side. I am not going to look long on any trades today. And that can help, you know, if you can compartmentalize your brain and just eliminate one side of the equation, it can make things a lot easier and ensure that you're not fighting the trend. Yeah, I mean, it, seeing the the few stocks that have been holding up the entire market, NVIDIA included, start to roll over. I, I've been wrong many times before, uh, but uh, it's hard to imagine what could reverse that trend if they're heading down. Yeah, it's it's bear rotation. And, you know, I got my first real dose of of education in sector bear rotation in 2022, where it was a real bear market. And, you know, this sector would fall, this sector's holding on well, and then the bears go hunt that one, and then that one dumps after it. Uh, and so that's taking place to a certain degree over the last month or two. And that is the question now. You know, again, I'll, I talked about the three-month time frame, and we had, you know, Netflix set a three-month lower high just recently, and Tesla just set a three-month lower high. And so now the question is, or an Amazon just set a three-month lower high. And so now the question is, do the stronger names like Google, it's it's trying to shape up a three-month lower high, and Meta on its earnings reaction, oh, trying man. to shape up the three-month lower high. So again, there's just, there's just the, the path forward is becoming a bit more clear for the bears, where Again, we're just watching for 2024 to potentially be a long-term tightening range, and it might get boring. But the best thing about that is if we do get this long-term tightening range, it's going to be nice and crystal clear when it breaks, whenever it happens, 2025 or whatever. Oh, I feel good about getting dunked on when I uh, sold my meta at 314 very publicly around here. <laughs> um, you know, and it, it went down, and I'm feeling good. Then it was back above. But look at the meta chart right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, there, this there's... Is this it's is, just, I mean, this is today. And look at the volume yesterday, right? I mean, yeah. this is real selling below the 50 MA and down. If you guys are wondering about Google, look at that gap uh, from between, I guess it was Tuesday and Wednesday. Look at the volume on that selling and look at the follow through today. I mean, this is disgusting. The, the bears are going hunting and Google and Meta were holding on better. You know, they were hitting 52 week highs when nobody, when none of the other big names were. They catch and, up. They yeah, always catch up. They're, they're going they're going after those names now. And another one I'm watching for is the energy sector, which has been extremely strong. And I'm looking for that one to roll over. Uh, I'm looking at a monthly rising wedge here. And, you know, we just double topped at the all-time high. And if you look back on, again, the long-term timeframes, uh, XLE four-month chart, it's the only sector that has a stair-step pattern, which is a, a higher low every single candle. That's still going on for three years now. And so I'm, you know, it's time to to see that roll over and join in as well. So I'm watching to see if if the energy sector is going to be next in terms of a place where bears go hunting. 
Matt, I think it's all going down. I don't know. I've just been starting to feel that way and uh, just very, very shaky. But I do hope we at least get a rally into the end of the year, the classic Santa Claus. Anything else you're watching before I let you go? Uh, that's about it. Again, gold and Bitcoin holding on well right now. Commodities, uranium still hanging out. CCJ, uranium still hanging on pretty well, all things considered. So there are places that aren't down nearly as much as others. But uh, again, it's it's a time to be a bit protective and I'm not trying to catch any bottoms uh, I, again, I need the bulls to prove to me that things are shifting if I'm going to start getting interested on the long side again. Love it, man. Well, thank you very much. Always a pleasure to have you. And I will see you next week, guys. Follow Chart Guys on X. Also, check out his YouTube. As always, uh, get a whole lot more than just 23 minutes of Dan. It's, it's, better, it's better over there, man. Thanks again. Thanks a lot, Scott. Well, guys, that was a lot to unpack today. Um, Market's looking shaky, but nice to see that Bitcoin is hanging out in the middle of there. Christopher Walker asked, why is ARK selling? They sold some Coinbase and some GBTC uh, because they're traders and it's a fund and they have to take profit and have a fiduciary duty. When something goes up 20, 30%, you sell some. They didn't sell it all, right? Uh, and that's what you do. There's the trading side and there's the investment thesis side and they got to sell when things are way up, at least a bit. That's all I got. All right, guys, I will be back. Tomorrow, of course, with the Friday Five. Nathaniel Whittemore has been my favorite. It's been really amazing uh, every single week. And of course, heading over to Twitter Spaces now. I will see you guys later. Bye. Let's go.